You know, every person's got a gift to give to each other to build the whole body of Christ up. That's what kind of drives me is enjoying the diversity of God's gifts and trying to help people do the same so they can not try to conform each other into our image, but into God's image. Our guest on First Person today is musician Tommy Coombs. Welcome, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Tommy was a member of the pioneering contemporary Christian music group Love Song and one of the creative people in the development of Maranatha music and later the praise band. I'll introduce him to you in just a moment. First Person is here every week at this time, talking with people who have given their lives in obedience to Jesus Christ. Each week we meet someone who has a unique story to tell, and I enjoy bringing these conversations to you. If you'd like to explore the archive of past interviews, they're all online at firstpersoninterview.com. You can choose from the list when you click on the Listen button. Or if you would prefer to download any or all programs to your computer or MP3 player, just go to iTunes and subscribe to the free podcast. Well, last week we explored the Jesus People movement in America, and one of the people whose name pops up in that discussion is today's guest, Tommy Coombs. I met Tommy recently near his home in Nashville, and we sat down and talked about his life before and after his decision to follow Christ. Well, I grew up in what I call a religious vacuum. Uh, My parents were two different faiths, and we weren't allowed to talk about it. So like so many people in the 60s, I began searching and then experimenting with too many things that were very kind of destructive. And then uh, 1970, me and a bunch of guys, they were in a band called Love Song playing bars and clubs. We all came to faith within six weeks of each other uh, at, by visiting this little church that did it right. Yeah, Love Song. Boy, yeah, I have that uh, original vinyl. A lot of people still do. It's one of those that you never get rid of. Well, you know, we just were on a wave. I love what Chuck Gerard says years later. He says, we didn't know what we were doing. We were blind, but now we see. And all we knew is we were driven by telling our generation yeah. that, you know, the greatest mystery of the universe is Jesus Christ, but it's so well hidden. Here it is. Yeah. That was simple. Yeah. So you were in Love Song before, BC, I guess we could say. Yeah. Uh, playing in the bars and so on. It, it, was Chuck the first one? Were you the first one who... Who uh, who turned the corner there? It was kind of Chuck's man. Actually, it was Fred Field, who's now a PhD teaching in the Cal State University system. Imagine that. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, some gal came down from Salt Lake City who we'd known, and she had been converted, and she was so sweet. She said very few words. Uh, so it was checking on us. Left us a book. Fred started looking the things in the book up in the Bible to see if they were true. <laughs> he, re- he did it by reading a four spiritual laws tract in the house by himself one day. And then uh, Jay went to live with his parents. He accepted Christ at Meddlingland, and they got into this fight over theological things. Keep in mind, none of them knew anything. Right. So we went down to this commune that Calvary Chapel had to get to get them to stop fighting. <laughs> and we went to church. And so, you know, I, I came, Fred came, Jay, and, uh, and then Chuck came just a little later. So it was all just about the same time. Exactly. God got himself a band. That, <laughs> <laughs> That's why I looked at it. Yeah. So, I mean, was it obvious then that you're going to start singing a different kind of song or what? How did that happen? It was kind of natural. We were sitting around the house and going, what do we do now? Uh, Chuck was signed as a songwriter in LA. That's uh, a long story. But yeah. uh, these new songs began to emerge as we read the Bible. And we said, we've got to tell our generation, we've got to make a record. That was real obvious. But where to do the record was a question mark because we weren't from the South. And nobody had done it before the way you were going to do it. No, I mean, we, we hadn't heard Mylon Lefevre had something coming mm-hmm. out soon, and we hadn't met Larry Norman yet. Okay. Uh, yeah, he was on Capitol. So we just said, 
we started looking into it, and we said, well, we're not from the South. We don't sing gospel quartet music. It means nothing to us. I'm sure they're wonderful people. And we're not urban people. We don't do black gospel. We <laughs> who, just gotta, who are these guys? <laughs> we just got to do what we—I guess we just got to do what we, you know, what we love to do. And, and that was the beauty of it, and that's something I hope the younger generations will do. They, yeah. you know, like David, you know— don't lose Saul's armor. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, and, and will there ever be another time like that when you are out there all alone and you can you can make your own rules? Basically, you can you can create a genre. Yeah, that's that's an interesting question because it it it, it shakes uh, what we believe. You know, uh, John Wimber used to say, you, you, when you're confronted with something that doesn't agree with you, it upsets your apple cart and you have to put your world back together again. Mm-hmm. That kind of music, you know. People in the church were afraid of it. Yeah, it was it was not okay. I mean, you know, literally, people said drums and rock and roll was from the pit of hell. Hey, believe me, I lived there. I I, I remember oh, what it man. was like. Yeah, and we had to come into a lot of churches with improve ourselves with a couple acoustic guitars and and just pray like crazy yeah. that God would make some bridge. You know, I'm sure you get this often, but it's funny to listen to that music today, and it still holds up today. It's marvelous to listen to it. But it isn't anywhere nearly as <laughs> radical as it seemed in the day, is it? It's like uh, the Beach Boys on a Sunday afternoon meets <laughs> Beatles light, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty non-threatening now. Because the harmonies were so beautiful. Uh, and it's one of the things that the Beach Boys and Christ Christ's Souls and Nash and Young and people like that and the Beatles did really well. There's something very universal about yeah, that. Yeah. And then Chuck wrote some magnificent songs. Right, right, Chuck Gerard. Okay, Coming back to you, though, what's going on in your heart and mind, your own transformation at this time? Uh, I just got out of the Army, was very lonely, very confused, uh, and but I was wondering very seriously who God was, and I had no information to make a decision. It just went around in a vicious circle that was really pretty torturesome. And uh, I wound up getting thrown in jail for marijuana bust mm-hmm. and asked for a Bible, of all things. <laughs> I literally thought, if I'm such a good guy, what am I doing in here? And, uh, you know, I didn't have any answers, and I'd never been to a church where that was full of life before. So a lot of loneliness and desperation trying to find something worth living for. So was this a jailhouse conversion? No, I actually didn't get converted then. I, I uh, Shortly thereafter, uh, I did get convicted and drug my whole family through a year of shameful stuff mm-hmm. going to court. And then we found out about this little church called Calvary Chapel from our friend yeah. who had been converted someplace else. And uh, we got curious and went down there, and we saw something we'd just never seen before, mm-hmm. which is today, fast-forwarding, what I hope people see when they come into our houses of worship. Mm-hmm. They feel and sense the presence of God because that, yeah. you know, well, I want to changes get, everything. I want to get to that later yeah. because uh, you are no less active or influential today in in giving God glory uh, through music, and uh, I want to talk about that a bit later. But I, I've yeah. got to know how you got to where you are. So, so yeah. take me through those steps in your life. Well, um, so here I'm lost and lonely. I'm searching. We go into Calvary Chapel, and the first night I went there, it was maybe 200 people, real mixed age group, something you didn't see in the drug culture. You know, people really different from each other, loving each yeah. other. Long hair, short hair, no hair at all. Yeah, that's pretty much the whole deal, <laughs> furs and bare feet, yeah. So I'm, I'm watching these people, and I sense that God is there, and they actually know who he is, and they love him. And that scared me to death, because I was so broken, and I felt they were so whole mm. that I didn't deserve to be in there. But yet I was really curious. So we started coming back just you know a lot, and I went back to work in a factory at night times and got kind of 
cut off from being able to go to church about a month into my journey. And I still hadn't been saved. I was trying to figure it out, which I think we have to give people time to figure it out. Mm-hmm. So I get a good news from modern man. I'm working in the factory. I'm reading it on every break. I'm staying awake at night reading it. And I didn't have any trouble believing it, but I was so surprised that, wow, I never knew Jesus was like this. I didn't know he cared for people like this. And then Chuck Gerard says, I got saved at a love song concert. So here I am. I'm going from getting busted by the cops to being asked to play for an anti-drug rally. I got saved at an anti-drug rally for the police department in the county of Orange playing love song music, and I was the first one down for the altar call. (laughs) Does God have a sense of humor or what? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Well, and, you know, when when God finally speaks to us really clearly, we understand what it is. My my youngest son calls it the personal visitation. Mm -hmm. Game over. Then it's not hard to yield to him. So that's what happened to me. And I felt like a whole backpack of rocks of guilt and shame had been lifted off me. And three days later, I'm with these guys' love song trying to figure out what do we do now. It's a marvelous testimony. It really is, Tommy. Uh, Fast forward. Yeah. Uh, Another genre of music uh, springs up, and that's the Maranatha uh, music. And you led the charge on that for many, many years. Well, I wrote the very first worship song that was recorded on the very first album. Which was? Holy, Holy, Holy. It was on Maranatha 1. And at the end of the album, which every artist had a cut on, we just sang this one worship song that was based on the book of Revelations. And, you know, for songwriters, you read something, you have a thought, and it's like God turns on a tape recorder. I just heard it (laughs) and sang it at church. And this was really common for people to write a song, come sing it that day. Mm -hmm. And everybody just instantly knew what it was. Yeah, you had a focus group right there, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, and we forget that sometimes. Then Mike McIntosh came to me when we were in the tent. He asked me to produce an album of all these songs that were blown around like the wind, and that was the first praise album. Yeah. And that sold about 300,000 copies. And they said, well, hey, can you do that again? Yeah, well, I was going to ask you, because here you are in California making this worship praise music, and, and I'm in the Midwest at that time. Do you have any sense, other than sales, of what an impact it had? On on churches and on the on the evangelical world, probably not in the early days. The interesting thing was we were weren't trying to invent anything. We were just trying to capture what was already going on. Mm. I was very aware because we traveled all across the United States. It was happening in Kansas City. It was happening in Seattle, El Paso, um, and London. So these songs sometimes you couldn't find out who wrote them because people would just go from one place to the other sharing these songs. Mm -hmm. So. Years later, Phil Kagey told me that that was his morning devotions. His, he had an electronic light timer that turned on his turntable. They'd wake up worshiping to that first praise album. <laughs> We've come a long way, haven't we? <laughs> yeah, technology, yeah. <laughs> That's a remarkable story. So Maranatha music, and how, how many years were you associated with Maranatha? Uh, or Maranatha? Al- al- almost 30. From, from the beginning, unofficially in 1970, it was incorporated in 71. I left in 99. So um, God is moving. You are creating. You're worshiping. And uh, life is good. You know, and it was, it was uh, so natural and easy. You know, one group would, you know, get an album done, and we'd put it in the Sunday school room. We had no marketing. There was nothing sophisticated. But it was like a tracks. Kids would buy a five of them, give it to all their friends, and they get saved, which is a, a good thing to remember. Yeah, you know, uh, let's be simple. Well, and let's get let's not get too introverted about our faith. <laughs> <laughs> so we just were doing that for years, and, and I was out traveling with Love Song, producing those on the side, and then eventually I stayed home and produced all those albums, and you know, we got involved in a lot of things like Greg Laurie and Franklin Graham, Promise Keepers, all that stuff. We'll continue our conversation with musician Tommy Coombs on today's edition of First Person in just a moment. 
Recently, we talked with Sergei Rakuba of Russian Ministries about an urgent project taking shape to print and distribute Bibles in Russia during the upcoming 2014 Winter Olympics in Sochi. Opportunities like this are rare in the countries of the former Soviet Union, and we want to do what we can to help with this Bible project. So for more information on what you can do to help, go to firstpersoninterview.com and click on Russian Ministries. That's firstpersoninterview.com. My guest on First Person today is Tommy Coombs. We're sitting in Nashville, Tennessee. You're home now. You're an L.A. guy, and here you are in Nashville and right down the uh, street from Music Row. Yep. I've been here five years. I love it. Can't get my wife to leave. There's something uh, something right about Tommy Coombs living on Music Row, though. I don't know. There's something about that. All my friends thought that I was the consummate California guy. They would never do it. I, I think I'm the last one out of California to come here. They're, all my other friends are here. But we just love it. The sense of community is great. Yeah. Tommy, we've talked about your history. I want to talk about your calling and what you're mm-hmm. doing today. Uh, earlier, you mentioned the, your association with uh, the Billy Graham team and with Franklin Graham, and you traveled the world with the Tommy Coombs Band. And uh, yeah, it's fun. Uh, tell me, tell me what's going on today. Well, I think it, you know it takes a while to sometimes discover your calling, and a lot of times it happens because other people see something in you. In my case, people said, "I think this guy could capture the Holy Spirit on vinyl," <laughs> having produced this thing, and that worked. For me, uh, I did uh, evangelism for many years. Then I was involved in worship. And sometimes they were there running parallel from the beginning, which mm-hmm. is good to re- remember yeah. that they're supposed to be. Just a parenthetical thing here, uh, Promise Keepers. I-, I was there for many of those yeah. stadium events up in the broadcast booth, yep. being the play-by-play announcer. And you, of course, and your band were on stage. You talk about the mixture of evangelism and outreach. And and, and I think that's healthy. That's the way it should be. But yeah. it took me 20 years to realize that's the way it ought to be. And we artificially separate them sometimes, you know. So I discovered that, oh, I have a passion and a calling to do evangelism and be involved with people that help the uninitiated or the ones who are not versed in our lingo to really see the kingdom of God and come in. And then I want to help them grow and mature and worship as a part of that. And adoring Christ is a big part. So I I have two streams running parallel and I produced lots of worship albums, a pioneer in that and contemporary Christian music. And then, uh, you know, I got a call from Randy at promise keepers when it was just this little teeny thing. And he, (laughs) And I, actually, in 1989, this was the other move for me, 1989, here I am a record executive working 68 hours a week producing albums, helping Sweet Comfort and Parable and, you know, all those, Liam Patel and all these people helping do their albums. Other people produce their music. Yeah. And I, I enjoyed that as much as being the artist. But uh, in 1989, I had been carrying new songs and cassettes in my pocket for two years, mm. playing them for record execs, trying to get them to see there was something new that needed to happen. Mm. I had... One cassette was Lord, I Lift Your Name on High, and another one was uh, Jesus, Mighty God, both from Rick Founds, and then there was something from Lenny LeBlanc and Kelly Willard and all these people. I said, something new needs to happen. These can't go on a regular sleepy, quiet, folksy praise album. And that became Praise Band. Okay. And finally the guys at Maranatha said, yeah, you go do that. So I, uh, I did it, and in the middle of recording that album, I felt like the Holy Spirit was, was saying, hey, I want you to get ready. Mm, you were called. Yeah, it was. I never thought that I would personally be involved in that again. I didn't know if we would see such a powerful move again in, in our culture. And I, you know, I was just trying to be a good father and a dad and, and not be slothful, these kind of things. Mm-hmm. And I found a meaningful way to serve the Lord. But then all of a sudden, I, I went to Greg Laurie and I said, I think this, this album, here, listen to this album. And of course, this was the first recording of Lord of Lifting Him High. 
the guy was, his name is Rick Founds, dear friend, worship leader in my local church. So I do that album, and, and then I said, I put together a team, and we do Sundays and Mondays with Greg Laurie. Mm. The thing blew up. And that's what went into Franklin Graham and Promise Keepers. Okay. There was a new wave happening. Like Greg did something at uh, Anaheim Convention Center. I saw 5,000 people come <laughs> forward. And I got on my knees and cried like a baby. I said, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll change. I'll give up my job or whatever. If you yeah. want me to do this, I'll do it. But isn't it interesting? A lot of people get very good at what they do, and then, then they move into the office, so to speak. Yeah, easy to do. And, and they stop creating. Yeah. God called you back to creating. I'm glad he did because I'm, I'm pretty good at the office thing and the admin, but it doesn't fuel my passion. Mm-hmm. I do it because it needs to be done to be responsible in the follow-through of what you promised people you're going to do. Mm-hmm. But it's much more exciting for me to be on the cutting edge of a vortex of trying to pioneer something new where I feel like God is saying, go do this, and nobody else gets it yet. <laughs> I love doing that. <laughs> you love to upset the apple cart, huh? Well, not intentionally, but I love following God, and it, it scares me to death sometimes because mm. you're going into the unknown, it's yeah. insecure. Yeah. But then if he's in it, he'll hold you up. So life today is what for you? Well, I have about three or four things. I'm, I'm kind of a professional juggler. I, I have, <laughs> uh, you know, a, a, about a third of my time is working with Franklin Graham all over the world. And I still have a band called the Tommy Coombs Band in California. 11 wonderful people. We have very funny passports because we'll go to south of Sudan. <laughs> we'll go to Haiti. You know, We'll go to Japan and Africa and, and do things for kids. It's really diverse. But he, he's, a, he's a very brave guy who have, has a heart for the poor. Yeah. And I love going into these cultures where you really have to keep your, your eyes and ears open yeah. to communicate cross-culturally. Yeah. I love that challenge. So is the music and, and the worship music kind of a cultural bridge in a sense? Oh, yeah, I think it, it is, in that sense, the universal language. And you can, you, it can connect you immediately with people emotionally. They go, I like these people. We have sung the title song, uh, My Hope, that one of the gals in my band wrote, Annie Barber. That's part of this Billy Graham thing that's coming up. In about 17 languages. We, like when we go to Brazil, we learn nine Do songs really? in Portuguese. Wow. We sang everything in Portuguese, which is a lot of work. <laughs> but it says, hey, we care about you guys. Yeah. And then uh, I've got a, a new thing that I've been pioneering called Music Compass, which is you know kind of helping artists find their way, so to speak, that compass. Uh, in both worship and in being an artist in, in, in knowing how to take care of all the things that go into pursuing that kind of career or calling. That's real important to me. I've got boys who are both professional musicians that and I'm surrounded by a lot of non-Christian musicians who are super talented, but their life is a little sketchy. Mm-hmm. So I just have a heart to help those kids. And, you know, I'm still married to the same woman. And, uh, and then, of course, Love Song about three years ago, there was a big box set that came out. Yeah, so we did about 100 concert tours then, too. And we're yeah. still talking about doing some more. So okay. that's really fun. I hope you do. I really do. So that fills up my life. Let me take you back to Music Compass, because this yep. is something I wanted to talk to you about. And okay. that it really is mentoring. That's, that's, yes. That's what it is. In one word, that is it. And it, it, I, I want to do two things. I want to help people who see themselves as an artist who don't see themselves as a worship leader. We forget about these people, how, how they can impact our culture. Uh, whether that's a, being an artist in contemporary Christian music or completely being brave enough to say my calling is out there in the marketplace and yeah. I don't want to sacrifice my Christianity. I don't want to leave that back home to be an, a successful artist and do the music I want to love. That's much trickier. But also being a successful worship leader serving in your church um, 
you know, if I was to be really honest, if I was to write a book today, it would be called Worship is Broken. Mm. And it's, it, there's a lot of great stuff happening now with Chris Tomlin and Paul Valash and Matt Redding and Crowder and, you know, Leland and these guys. I love those guys. love what they're doing. A lot of talent. But generally speaking, the church is missing it on so many fronts. So they just think it's about musical skills. They don't even know what they're trying to do. They don't know the value of the worship. The pastor doesn't teach on it. So I hope to bring training. I'm working with Mid-American Christian University in Oklahoma City, meeting today with Treveca to see if they're interested. I would love to blow this thing up to where it goes directly online, directly to hundreds of thousands of churches, because we all need help. Fabulous. And I can bring all my friends, Michael W. Smith included, yeah. to give their version of what you need to watch out for. Yeah. Tommy, uh, we sit here and, and uh, we've talked about your early life. We're talking about what God has called you to and what you're doing today. Would you look back on all that? Isn't it amazing to see the threat, to see how God was tying everything together, giving you experiences you didn't understand at the time? Yeah. Uh, they all have uh, amounted to who you are today and what you can give back to God today. Yeah, and it is very interesting. I mean, I just look at a kid from Long Beach who loved music and had no concept of who God was, and you know, to to have him cherry pick me out of the out of my mess and to gently lead me, you know, and put up with my strivings and going off on the wrong things, trying to discover what he wants. I find that I God's really good at kind of gently pushing us into his will, and he's always got something so good in mind. And it, it comes in a better package mm-hmm. and a different package every time mm-hmm. than I thought. Mm-hmm. But it was, you know, he delights to give us the desires of our heart. So, yeah, yeah it's kind of his footprints in the sand carrying me along. <laughs> and and yet, you, and as you get older, you kind of wonder, well, okay, am I done? Do you have anything else for me to do? And then he'll he'll bring something along that's different that is just as fulfilling. Love it. So that every era has its its uh, trials and its blessings. Love it. Have a verse of scripture that characterizes your your life right now. Something you're really hanging on to. Uh, well, it, it's based on on the book of Ephesians about you know every person's got a gift to give to each other to build the whole body of Christ up until we come to the unity of faith. But what it says to me is like, hey, enjoy and respect other people's gifts. Don't try and make them like me. That's that's what kind of drives me is enjoying my friends, enjoying the diversity of God's gifts, and and trying to help people do the same so they can not f- trying to conform each other into our image, but to, into God's image. And he, he's much better at giving the gifts and directing us than we could ever be. And there's no strife involved. The other one for me would be the blessing of the Lord makes rich and adds no sorrow with it. Tommy Coombs, our guest today on First Person. His band uses worship evangelism to minister from the stadiums of North America to the barrios of El Salvador and the shantytowns of Johannesburg. They have recorded 15 albums, played on six continents, and regularly work with Franklin Graham and the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association in the U.S. and overseas. We'll place a link to the website for Tommy's ministry today at firstpersoninterview.com. You'll be able to follow that and learn more about our guest, firstpersoninterview.com. We'd also love to hear from you on our Facebook page. Listeners often leave comments there, and there are extra features posted that go hand-in-hand with what you hear in the program. We're found at facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. Next week, our guest will be the founder and CEO of the New York City Leadership Center. His name is Mac Peer, and he'll fill us in on what is happening spiritually in America's largest city. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Thanks for listening to First Person. Thank you.